Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Today's guest is Wally Adamchik. Wally is the president of Firestarter Speaking Consulting, a respected consulting firm focused on leadership and productivity in the construction industry across North America. He earned his MBA from the University of North Carolina after getting his undergrad from Notre Dame and after a decade of service in the United States Marine Corps. Uh, he stepped into his consulting, specifically in construction industry with FMI Management Consultants before starting his own firm. While he's been drawn to two things throughout his life, leadership and excellence. And you can see that from the beginning. So as he started when he was younger, uh, years working and learning from his dad and his brother who were skilled craftsmen, uh, to being an armor officer serving as the platoon leader in the United States Marine Corps. He's really kind of done it all. Well, in, in Wally even was the mascot for Notre Dame his senior year. Yes, the leprechaun. And as a Chicago Southsider, I love the fighting Irish pride there. So that's just peak, peak for me. So first, thank you for your service, Wally, and welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, the Southside Irish is a is a colorful bunch of folks. I've been to some parties down there. It was just like that. <laughs> yeah, they they uh, have canceled those parades uh, for the Southside Irish parade a few times because uh, people get a little too pride prideful. Maybe prideful. let's go with that. Okay. That that's what we'll go with. Um, passion. Yeah, so passion, a lot of passion in Southside Irish for sure. And White Sox fan here, so definitely all about that Southside pride. So, uh, Wally, uh, tell us one about you. I gave a little synopsis here, but tell us a little about you and then tell us the history of Firestarter. Yeah, you know, it's a pretty simple story. I, I speak and consult on leadership in the construction industry and in the built environment. And I do that because it's a fit. Yeah, as you mentioned, my brother and dad were, you know, Teamsters back in the day. And my first job was, you know, 13 years old as a, as a helper on a job somewhere in New York City. And then um, <clears throat> all the jobs I had in the interim, you know, the Marine Corps, obviously, and then a few leadership positions in business that just this is where I belong. And, you know, the, the, the construction world is my world for good or bad. And this is what I've been doing for my own for the last 20 years. Yeah. No. So explain in your words, explain what you would consider leadership training or leadership consulting specifically for construction industry. Well, I guess we could say that leadership training and consulting is the same anywhere, but what you have to understand is the context, right? So there's certain contexts in play in construction. First of all is remote environments, right? So you have, you know, you have office and field. So that that's a challenge. Uh, you have the vast majority of people who are task oriented, right? Get the thing done. So that means, well, it's thing or people, right? So if we're focused on thing, that means my people side needs a little work. So helping people understand that. And then the fact that we take our best craftspeople and we elevate them into supervision with zero training whatsoever. Uh, I would say those are three of the most unique aspects of the context of uh, leadership and construction. Makes sense. Makes sense. So then 
obviously uh, labor shortage, huge construction right now. I think it's, I think, I feel like that's been forever. I don't know. And maybe there's a point in time where it wasn't an issue, but I feel like the last 10 years, 20 years, it's just, it's been a thing, right? So um, how do, how do construction companies find good people? Well, if you're, if you're looking for new people, the best place is the people that are already in your organization, you know, some kind of a robust internal referral program and uh, some kind of a good, you know, whether it's high school, college, you know, internship, recruiting kind of a program, but truthfully, the best place is a great referral program. The problem is most referral programs are, are a waste uh, and insulting and it's not worth my time, but that is where you find the best people is from your current people. Got it. So, and obviously when I say, I say good people and that, I think that's a differentiator, right? So finding somebody to do a thing in comparison to finding somebody that's going to really help your business. How do you know, or how does the construction company know they have those people in place? Like, how do they know that, man, the people that we do have are in place once they are hired or if they've been there for a while? No, I think you see the results in a couple of places, you know, in results, right? <clears throat> obviously, no safety issues or minimal safety issues, right? Uh, quality is good. Production is good, i.e. the machine is working, right? We're getting things built in a quality, safe, cost-effective manner. And, and, and I think the byproduct of that, and I don't think the previous three are possible, in a friction-free, friction-low environment, in other words, people actually get along with each other. Uh, and I think that then comes down to culture. Interesting. So getting along with each other, right? You know, because if somebody say you're a crane operator or something, you're really Mm -hmm. great at that. You can operate a crane like nobody else in the city or, you know, very few people can do that. But you're just a you're just a dick. You you know, let's just be let's just be brass with it. How how does that situation play out? How how, what does that look like for the business? Well, we talk specifics that crane our operator 15 stories up. He He's fine, right? We can leave him alone and, you know, but but truthfully, right in the bigger picture, you know, there are uh, jerks out there, right? And some of them don't even know they're being jerks. And honestly, this is that task oriented, get her done, get out of my way, you dumbass, right? And, yeah. and oh, by the way, that's why I was raised. So why, why isn't that good, right? So this goes back to your question about leadership development is just helping people understand that, there's there's a secret saucer. There's things you actually have to think about. There's things you actually have to understand about yourself. There's things you need to know to be a better leader and to create that environment. And then, and you know, you know, you have to be willing to hold people accountable. For sure. Accountability is key. Uh, I kind of see that across the board. So how do you get one of these doers to be a, to be a leader? You know, one of these task people to say, all right, no longer just task for, uh, you know, on the mind. How do, how do you get them to actually be a leader? Well, helping them understand, you know, you often hear a guy say, I don't want to be a supervisor. There's too much paperwork or, you know, whatever. Now, it's really about the opportunity to make a bigger impact, right? To, to, have, to have leverage, you know, as a human being and extend, you know, yourself out there and to, uh, you know, have the opportunity to make some more money, you know, et cetera. So, you know, you talked about leverage, okay? Can you define what actually leverage is? Yeah, for me, leverage is, well, think about it. If I have a lever, right, I'm able to exert a greater force than just by myself, right? You know, trying to pick up the box of out of a lever over a fulcrum, I can exert greater force. So similarly, 
as a leader, I have leverage as, as a human being, right? That I, I can get, you know, X amount of work installed or I can get, you know, X squared amount of work installed. And that, uh, to me, that's leverage. Okay. So what does a $500 million company have figured out that a $50 million company hasn't figured out? Yeah, it, it is leverage, right? But it, I think it's systemization first, right? Is that the process has been systematized. So it's repeatable consistently over time. Yeah. And, and we can do that with certainty through estimating, et cetera. And how does technology play into this? Does yeah. it even play into this? It's hugely, uh, um, uh, I'm just checking my notes here, making sure I got it all right. But um, the, you can't replicate, right? If you're going to, so technology, whether that's in the software or something like that, right, says, okay, we, we have a system and a process and I hit go on my software and it takes me through a process, no matter where I am, no matter what job I'm on, you know, all of those things. So, uh, so that truly is one of those places where I gain leverage. And then if I'm doing work on the east side of Chicago or the west side of Chicago, we're applying the same system. I mean, you look at McDonald's, right? They have a process and a system which enables consistency and repeatability. And that ultimately is what enables profitability. So uh, it's hugely critical. Uh, technology is for that $500 billion company, but then you have to bring in the culture side, right? So, um, you know, there's always people and process, right? So I can have superior processes, but not superior people. The results are not going to be as good. Flipping around, I can have superior people, but not superior processes. The results are not going to be as good, right? You, you really do need them both. So you're talking about process. Uh, I believe during our pre-interview, you said that there's a triangle around process. Can you explain what that is and what the pieces are and give us a little yeah. bit more? Yeah, it's what I call the success triangle, actually. And, and at the bottom is what I call technical competence, right? So there's TC for technical competence, right? Well, then you come up one side and you've got management, which could be called process, right? So there's, there's process. And, and then now you got to bring up the leadership side which obviously is a people thing, right? And then, you know, so you got technical competence as the foundation. Then you have the management piece, which is a lot about process. And then the leadership piece, which is a lot about people. When those are done well, you have success. What often happens though, is we make this technical expertise, right? And then that line at the bottom gets a hell of a lot bigger. And then the, 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 the pyramid collapses, right? So, um, and, I, and the technical expertise thing matters because the question is, do I need experts as leaders or do I need competent people as leaders? So I which mean, is it? Well, I would assert that you need competent people as leaders. You're certainly going to have people who are expert. But, but let me give you an example. If I were to take a, a sergeant out of the Army or the Marine Corps, uh, whether he, and, and say, say he or she's a combat engineer, right? They know how to operate equipment. They know how to do like construction. How long would it take for me to have them to be, quote, a foreman in a construction company? Not long, right? Because they already have superior competence at the thing. Well, they don't know us. They don't know construction. They need to pay their dues, right? No, they're competent all, almost the minute they step in. And what happens is we think leaders need to be expert 
old model, right? I have to be competent enough to be able to know the expert to call, which could be somebody in my company, like, you know, go call Smitty because he's seen it all, or go call the consultant because they, they we, we don't have that expertise, but we know somebody who does. That, okay, so interesting. So it's not to say that you need to know nothing about construction because there needs to, you need to have a base level knowledge understanding of whatever it is yeah, but competent. there's 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 a lot that goes with the process and the having the right person when you're talking uh about leadership positions just in general yeah right? yeah i mean there, there is and, and that's you have to understand the competencies that you're looking for right and and this is a whole new world right here that if you take the role of general superintendent right that person overseeing a large field operation traditionally that was a guy who has moved up through the ranks you know foreman maybe general foreman superintendent etc and truly was the technical expert right and when one of the guys had a problem they'd call him and he'd solve that problem right and he was, you know, moving all the dials and stuff like that. Now that position, there's a lot of scheduling involved. There's a lot of coordination involved. There's a lot of owner interaction involved. There's a lot of sitting behind a computer involvement, right? So the competencies in many organizations of that job have changed, right? So I keep promoting that old guy, old meaning experienced person that that I'd done for the last 50 years and they had great success in that. Now the last three that I've put in that role have failed miserably. The guy didn't change, the job changed, right? So understanding the, and it's such a, a, you know, a consultancy buzzword, but what are the competencies required to be in this position of leadership, you know, uh, and, and obviously that's different at the foreman level than it is at the executive level. So, and we can extend that to job description, right? If, if competencies are part of a job description, what are we asking someone to do with clarity so they know what the heck they're getting into and i know what the heck i'm holding them to accountable to there's that accountable word again yeah that's the right person in the right seat uh, we're in a us company so that that fits in place because you could have the right person a great person that has a lot of value to be had but if they're sitting in the wrong seat then it, it, it all collapses yeah down. absolutely uh you know you're talking about accountability and authority if peter drucker said uh Account uh, what is it? Uh, authority without accountability is tyranny, and uh, accountability without authority is impotence. Yeah. So you got to have both to make things work. Yeah. So do. these, so the triangle, uh, in the triangle success, that is something that not everybody obviously knows how to how to you know form it you know form, uh, which is obviously why you can come help a company. How do you how do you take a company to get them from a, a broken triangle or maybe not a triangle at all to getting them into a, something that's a, standing a little bit on its own? Yeah. Uh, well, first they have to have the awareness, right? Um, you know, it's the you can lead a horse to water kind of a thing, um, but you can't make them thirsty, right? I mean, the, the the you know the organization has to have a a recognition that quote they need to do something different that what they're doing you know isn't working <clears throat> and uh, and clearly you know they're coming at it generally from a labor deficit right we're turning people over uh we're not as productive as we need to be we're not as safe as we want to be etc so you know somebody cut generally shows up with a a defined uh, a loosely defined need of you know we need our leaders to do better 
right? Um, and just like you guys would going into a consulting engagement, there's a discovery process. You know, tell, tell me what you do. Tell me how you do it. Tell me what's working. Tell me what's not working. Uh, and then say, well, okay, you know, we could do this or we could do that. Which one makes sense to you? Uh, so, you know, earlier we talked about the context of construction and and leadership in construction as opposed to, you know, banking or education or whatever. Within this broad industry called construction, we have to understand the context of the way that company goes to work. For example, are you a, uh, um, a billion dollar infrastructure company based in Atlanta and, you know, kind of the greater Georgia environment, or are you a billion dollar pipeline company, right, doing pipelines all across the nation, right? And then, so in the first scenario, you know, we can bring people in for a day, go away for a month, come in for a day, go out for a month, come in for a day. In that second scenario, you're coming in for five days, right? So the way you do edge and, and, and obviously remote, um, uh, you know, online Zoom stuff clearly gives us some new uh, capability there, but to get people in the room, right? So understanding the context of that organization is really important. Similarly, I'm a $50 million company. Okay, well, if you bring all my superintendents in for the day, you're shutting me down, right? So what's that going to look like? How's that going to feel? And, and, I, and I think many service providers, professional services folks like you and I totally you know, they're like, oh, here's how it needs to be. Well, no, no, it, how does it need to be for you in your context, in your scenario? And I think that's a really important part when we provide a solution, right? Um, you know, it's the classic, you know, the, what is it? The, 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 the you know, the, the cure will kill you, but you won't have the disease and, you know, whatever that cliche <laughs> is, right? Uh, we have to understand that. And that matters because if we don't have success initially in, helping and, and helping people learn or implement something, then that initiative fails, right? So we, we really want to set ourselves up for success. And that's not selfish. That's just ROI, right? So understand ROI for the client. So understanding that context, that specific situation of that organization, I, I think is, is the key to, is probably the key to success from my perspective. So, okay. Hold on a second. You change you said something, I want to go back to it, you know, you kind of connotated about if and when successful. So then that means that there can be failure. Why does, why is there change? Why does change fail? Yeah. Um, well, the two key things we need to think about change is change takes longer than we think. And it requires a significant amount of executive leadership or, or personal selling from leaders, right? It's, that leader looking you in the eye and going, hey, this is how we need to do it. And then coming back a couple of days later and go, hey, are we still doing that? And that takes longer than you think. And what happens is you hear the leader getting frustrated saying, um, and by the way, our research, we do some research every other year, it's called the People in Construction Report, survey hundreds of leaders in the industry. Broadly, 50% of leaders at all levels say change initiatives often fall short. These are the leaders, right? The leaders are saying the change initiative falls short. <laughs> These are the people getting paid to like make the change. So, uh, you know, if they're saying it falls short, Lord knows what the rank and file is saying, but that's because we have the flavor of the day, right? When we talk about doing something different. So, um, you know, you, you can't give up smoking, drinking and gambling in the last week of February, 
right? You only have so much time, right? So what's that thing we need to focus on, we need to get right? Um, and, uh, and, and initiative fatigue, right? Uh, and oh my God, the larger companies these days are, are dealing with it. The multinationals are dealing with this in, in, in an oppressive way. This is a place where technology is really stifling organizations because we can, we can tech people to death with reports and Power BI and all that stuff. And uh, it's, 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 it's almost like technology has gone too far. Right. In that case, but we digress. I'm sure we'll get to that one later. Yeah. We will. We will definitely talk about that more, but you, you mentioned a uh, bigger company. So bigger companies, obviously it takes, it takes longer to change, right? Like you have yeah. a much larger ship to move. Right. So like, what are the, like, when you're talking about scalability and scaling for a company that's, that's seen some scale or certainly has gotten some size, like the, the bureaucracy of it, like, like, how does a company get through that? Like, how does, how does a company say, we're bigger, it's going to take us longer to change. We're not like a little, you know, $10 million shop or $20 million shop. Like we're, we, it takes us a lot longer to get things accomplished. Well, I think you got to back up a little bit and, and, and go to the values, right? Like, who are we? Why do we exist? How do we exist? You know, kind of those uh, foundational, you know, true north kinds of beliefs, because then those guide everything else going forward, right? And they guide uh, the decisions, they guide the implementation. In times of conflict, they guide the decisions that are being made. So, um, you know, values are another, you know, consultant bingo. Oh, you got to have values, right? It's a, it's a buzzword out there. Um, but the companies that are getting it right, uh, and what I mean by it, culture, really understand their values, they communicate their values, they celebrate their values. Um, for example, Walsh Construction, they do quality week, right? They spend a week focused on quality, and quality is one of their values, right? Mm -hmm. uh, other firms do it different ways, but that's, that's just an example up your way. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, not you, Justin, but you will, yeah. um, right? Um, but um, so, so that when you get to scale, we still have those foundational elements of, of your ethos or ethos of this is who we are. Okay. So for the companies, uh, and obviously there's a scale of, there's a, a range of companies that you work with in size. Yeah. How many of those companies have true values? Not they've got a marketing webpage that says, you know, nine things that they inspire to be, but like have actual values at their company. AKA not aspirational values. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, we didn't talk about that in the pre-call. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you under 50%. Okay. Uh, I would go with like 30% or freaking real. Right. Okay. Uh, and, and let's go with a normal distribution. Maybe, you know, 20% uh, are real 20% are they're just fantasy. And then you have the middle, you know, average where, yeah, they're there. We kind of talk about them. They kind of matter to us, but we don't realize how important they really are. So yeah, 20 to 30% on the fringe, maybe uh okay. and, and then you know whatever that normal so you get the idea but um yeah not as many as you would hope but that's changing you really are seeing companies go through what i'll talk i'll call values 2.0 right that the ones they created 10 20 years ago 
you already know what they are. Safety, quality, integrity, and customer service, right? Now, those are all good um, and they're great if you live them with that language. But what we're seeing people is, is they're customizing and tailor, tailoring the words and maybe there's a tagline after each one of those uh, and they're making those words their own, right? So um, that's the, what I'm calling this values 2.0 thing where um, it's not the, oh, we created them and they're the same four that everybody else has because that's what we were a consultant told us we needed to do 20 years ago. It's this is who we are. And integrity is not even on there. Now, something around that flavor would be on there, right? But it may not be integrity, right? It might be doing the right thing. It might be we stand by our word, right? It, I mean, that one's always going to be there, of course, but it may not be that word anymore. Words matter. We, we've learned that uh, certainly as a company ourselves and how you phrase things like one of our core values is being candid. Mm -hmm. So like that is huge. And we hit like we hit on that all the time. And that goes for us individually when we're talking to each other internally and how we can just say what, what's on our mind and be very candid about it. But as well as when we go to clients. Right. So when we go and talk to a client, it's like, yeah, like you you've got a big security hole here. Yeah. And if you don't fill it like yeah. It's a big problem. Like, yeah. so being able to be candid with, uh, you know, clients or, or obviously ourselves has been just part of us. Like that's who we are. So we, you know, before that we had like nine, nine values that were just, they sounded good, yeah. but they were not being yeah. lived. And now it's just four that we just live by every day. So, so you, you bring up a really interesting point with that candid and, and, um, this industry, um, so how do I build trust, right? If we're going to say that trust is an important part of a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there's really two found two ways that I would say there's ways. That, one is relational. Gotta like that guy. I feel good with him, right? The other way is from technical competence, right? Mm -hmm. Wow, he does what he says he is going to do. He said we were going to do X, Y, and Z, and it would work in one, two, three. And that's what happened, right? Now let's go back to the task-oriented nature of our business, right? So you dealing, uh, you being candid, right? You're, you're, you're. It's, it's, it's relational. It is, but it's, it's also technical competence, right? These guys know what they're doing. They say they're what they're going to do. They do what they're going to say. I trust that, right? The problem is we have some people who have personality profiles that are like, "Hey, buddy, how's it going?" Right? That's an ultimate turnoff for, for people. So self-awareness, understanding context of the industry. No, I, I couldn't, you agree. said it way better than I could have. So I like awesome. the kiss concept you used right there. You're definitely uh, keeping it simple, stupid. That's so why I, I that. that's, you know, I succeed in this industry. It's a bunch of simple guys who just want to build stuff and I'm about as simple as they get. <laughs> so how does this play all into marketing? Right. Um, you know, why the change? Why the change uh, from a marketing standpoint? Well, uh, if I were to go on LinkedIn right now and just people I'm connected with, I could tell you, I could probably off the top of my head find five um, off the top of my head. Uh, and then with a little bit of effort, find two to five more firms that do marketing in construction. Right. And 10 years ago, I could find zero. Right, uh, because our work speaks for itself. 
No, it doesn't. Right. Um, well, we put a job sign up. We've been doing marketing for 30 years. Right. Um, <laughs> it's, and some of those job signs looked like they'd been around for 30 years too. Right. Uh, marketing. Um, the procurement procurement has evolved. Right. So yes, there could still be in a market and uh, you know, a midsize market, uh, you know, a Raleigh or a Nashville or something like that. And I'm a member at the, you know, the best golf course and I'm on the chamber of commerce and yes, there's that still matters. Right. But there's, it's, we're, we're in a more complex world environment, et cetera. Uh, and if you just throw out marketing from a business acquisition perspective and move to a employee acquisition perspective, uh, this is another reason why marketing so matters so much. And, you can't get into that conversation right now and not have a grip on social, right? On, you know, whatever platforms you choose to be on. I mean, I know one company, again, billion dollar company, 90, I'll say 100% of their work is public bid um, of some nature. It could be hard bid, could be design build, whatever the case may be, but it's public money. In other words, they don't need to spend a nickel on marketing, but they just spent a boatload of money on redoing their website because it's about attractiveness and making yourself, uh, you know, marketable quote to, to employees. Oh, so yeah. it's different. Yeah. We had so an architecture firm on that. That was the same thing. He said, well, what do you think our website's for? I'm like, well, it's not for getting clients because it talks totally about just all the work experience, culture, the amazing place to work, all these different things. And he's like, exactly. It's totally for talent. It has yeah. nothing to do with us getting work. Yeah. No, it's, that's, the, you know, welcome to the 21st century or 2022, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny you talk about technology uh, and you're talking about LinkedIn, you're talking about uh, these things, but our experience has been that construction companies are extremely resistant to technology, just, yep. just in general, outside of the very, very large ones, right, yep. that really understand the focus behind technology, outside of the, the behemoths. Construction companies are resistant to technology. Why? Uh, cost, right? Um, I, I'm paying for it and I don't see the immediate benefit of it. Whereas if I'm renting a backhoe, I can see it on my job, even if it's just sitting there doing nothing. I can see it, right? There's an analogy there to technology too, with paper technology <laughs> and don't use it. So uh, cost, uh, I would say too, that um, for the longest time, technology sucked. Um, let me, let's use this as an example. Here we are on a Zoom call. There are other providers also that can do competent web-based collaboration. Yeah. Uh, five years ago, that was not the case, right? It was spotty. Uh, it was clunky. Now, some of that has to do with bandwidth. Some of that has to do with the quality of technology. But if, if arguably your podcast would not be as successful three years ago, right? Because um, people were not in tune to it. They weren't consuming information that way. Uh, you couldn't get guests on. I, I remember how long ago was this one? Let's just say it was 2010, it, it, 10 or 14, but we were uh, putting together a, a, an international meeting for one of my bigger clients. You know, there's going to be, you know, thousand or so people from all over. And a lot of the delivery was going to be done by people within the company, as the, as the CEO said, by the people for the people. So, you know, you got a hundred or so people on the planning team. You're taking 18 months to plan this. Well, yeah, we could meet once a quarter in pick your resort location, but we tried to go with Skype. Okay. Which was like the only one right back then. Back then. People were like, 
let's just say it was really hard. Okay. Now, the truth of it was you just had to create a Skype account to be able to, you know, get on your webcam. But, you know, we had people going to hotels and renting rooms so they could set up the Skype for that. It was, it was, we thought it was going to be this elegant solution and it didn't work because the technology wasn't that good and the people weren't familiar with the technology. So that experience we have with video conferencing, take that to your project collaboration software, take that to your, I'm going to take this app into the field and you, you know, take that to every other technology. Every other technology has gone through a similar iteration to the point where now they're pretty damn good. They really are. Um, but people are like, oh man, I, you know, I got the dirt kicked out of me by whatever, you know, five, seven years ago. Um, can I just go dig, right? So I, I think that's part of it. Uh, what about, um, let's say field or training? You know, is there a difference of opinion of field versus kind of the more administrative side? Yeah, you know, I have, I have a buddy who works at Morgan Stanley and 98% of their training is online, right? They they sit at their computers and, and mm -hmm. information comes to them, right? So here we have our essential workers out in the field and, um, and, and, and let's face it, you can be in a, uh, I am doing classes these days virtually, you know, for 60 minute lunch and learns. And I got guys sitting in pickup trucks and gals sitting in pickup trucks on an iPad, right? Now that's because they have connectivity. That's not true on every job site. That's not true in every locale, right? So once again, we have to understand context. So, um, but yeah, the, the field is about building things, right? So if we're going to put training into their hands, how does it help them get better? What's the utility of it? If we're going to put technology in their hands, how do we help them understand that there's an ROI or a payoff in, in using this? And what's the utility of it? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm kind of platform agnostic, but, you know, heavy job is a wonderful tool for doing a hell of a lot more than entering payroll, right? It's probably one of the most expensive payroll entry programs on the face of the earth, right? And, uh, and, uh, and I'm, my point there is there's a lot of people that that's what they use it for, right? And it's like, oh my God, there's a production planner piece. There's this, there's that, there's this, there's that. And this gets to another element of technology. True story had it happen probably four or five months ago. Uh, and it related to heavy job. Three, three years ago, this company rolled out $200 million company, so not small. They rolled out iPads heavy job to the field, right? really then they did it right like they invested in the training um which a lot of buyers of technology skimp on the training right ah that consultant's just trying to make money no i'm trying to make sure it works but anyway um right so they, they did it right and and the and the software sang right they got good business information intelligence data etc related to cost and you know all the stuff that that's supposed to do well, over the last couple of months, maybe even a couple of, over, the, over the last six months to a year, quality of the data being less efficient. Uh, one, you know, by one guess, only 60% of the guys were really even using it for anything more than a timesheet. And we all got in a room, we started talking about it, we started looking at it. And what happened is they did this incredible rollout three years ago. And then over the last three years, when somebody came in, they said, well, here's your iPad, right? It's got heavy job loaded. Ask somebody on your job site and they can teach you how to use it, right? Um, 
and they lost those, you know, some of the super users along the way. Uh, and to the point, and, and this is how critical it became, we had leadership development scheduled for the next six months, we canceled it. Because it was more important to get the heavy job working than for me to come in and talk about, look, if you can't figure out your cost, you can't build the job, right? So it's like, okay, let, let, let's, let's back up and kind of do three years ago 2.0, right? And, and let's get everybody back up to speed on it. So, you know, Will, why does technology fail? It's because we don't help people really understand how to use it, right? I mean, the classic, you know, there's a big difference between demonstrating technology and making me conversant in it. And you guys show up and go, oh yeah, you just hit on, enter, 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 drop down window, drop down window, enter, 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 got it? Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> on, enter, 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 drop down, drop down, drop down, got it. And I'm going, mm, could you start it on? And then you guys give me the eye roll. Like, oh, you dumbass. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. So this is where micro learning is becoming so good. Right. And it's just like if you said, how do I install my ring doorbell? right out at my house, you go to Google, you go to YouTube, and there's 50 videos on how to install a ring doorbell, right? Well, now, and, and, and even smaller firms are figuring this out. BuildWit has done some incredible stuff with it on the micro learning side. Um, we're putting that in a library, right? That says, okay, how do I quote, enter time in heavy job? And I can go into our LMS learning management system, right? Um, which is a technology and click that three minute video, right? on-demand learning is there's a there's a whole new frontier out there the problem is you can do that with task and technical stuff you generally can't do it with relational and leadership stuff right so there's there's an end statement in there but um i you got me a little excited there how was that i, I loved it that was all about that so you talked about crappy technology right uh a, a little bit there and i want to kind of go back to that um, because technology is supposed to be able to help processes, right? Yeah. So, and so you've got these systems and you build these processes and technology should really enhance that. Does it always do, do that? No, you can easily be automating a bad process. What does that right? mean? Um, well, um, so I have a process for handing off information from estimating to office operations, office operations to field operations. Let's mm -hmm. say there's 75 items that we should talk about on a proper handoff, temporary power permits. Where's the, where's the nearest fire department? I, I don't, you know, there's probably more than 75, right? Well, if I only have 10 on that checklist and I automate that, right? We had a crappy process in the first place because a good one would have 75. Does that make sense? Is that a good example? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Yeah. It, I'm trying to make it really simple, but you know, you could have a bad process uh, and you automate it and now you just do crappy work faster. Um, you know, it's, okay. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's good. Um, the other thing, go back, you said something about um, with field implementation is do we involve the field in the purchase decision or do we glance at the field in the purchase decision? Right. One is the second one is lip service to we got them involved. The second one is we got the users involved. Right. Because how often do you roll out a technology to the field and they go, this doesn't work. This isn't what we need. And you're like, well, we talked to you. Well, 
no, you brought us in for a donut one morning and asked if that would be great, right? Or the guy or gal, again, usually a guy these days still, who was the field representative, hasn't gotten his boots dirty in 28 years, right? You know, he's not out there. He's not there, right? Um, once again, could be that general superintendent or somebody who's not in touch with what's happening there in the mud. So that I, um, it's one of the reasons where I see it fail, right? In the, in the procurement process that the users were not uh, consulted well enough. So how, how can a leader win when they're trying to implement new technology? How, how what what's the roadmap for success? Because <laughs> it sounds like there's lots of bad, oh, yeah, bad stuff going on. So how do, how do we get a win? How do we're we just, say, hey, screw the technology? We're just going to use the whiteboard, right? Um, no, uh, you know, buzzword vision, right? What do we hope to accomplish, right? Look, hey, we want to implement a software that does X, Y, and Z. Okay, um, how does that sound? Oh, that sounds pretty cool. Okay, now I'm getting some buy-in, right? Okay, if it did that, what what would you like to see it do? Well, if it could do this and this and this and this. Okay, cool. Well, here's one solution we have, and it does this and this, but it doesn't do this and this. Well, what if it could? What if it could, right? And then, you know, we get into a negotiation with the vendor and all that stuff. Clearly not my area of expertise, mm -hmm. but there's generally always some trade-off involved in, in what you're actually buying and what it what you want and what you buy and what the cost and, and all that is. But ultimately, uh, you, uh, so there's some kind of a pilot project, right? Where, and it may be if you're smallish, um, you take one of your superintendents and you send them to another company where that vendor is already working, right? And, and, and they're just doing, they're just following along. It's like somebody coming to watch me speak, right? Like, hey, we'd love to have you, can we see you? Yeah, come in. You know, I'll be here, right? So if you can't do a pilot within your own organization because of cost or scale, ask the vendor if you can go see it somewhere else, right? And and I would send a handful of folks and you know spend a day or two. Hey, how's this work? How's you know what didn't what what do you guys wish you had known before? You know all of that stuff. And generally, um, you know the vendor is going to send you a place where it worked. But we want to help each other, right? So when yeah. you get in that room together and then you get those three foremen sitting together and maybe having a beer later in the day, like, oh my God, this sucks. Um, or it sucked, but we figured this out. I think that's a way to overcome some of that, uh, one of those landmines and some of that inertia. Um, again, not my area of expertise, but I have seen that work very successfully. Don't don't try to always make a new road when there's one already paved for you, right? It, it's like, generally it's generally out there. Now in big organizations, like they would roll it out in a division, right? Mm -hmm. Or an operating company. Well, I'm not big enough to do that. Okay, well, let's go see somebody who's done it. Oh, that makes sense. And the key though is winning people over, right? So now I have champions, right, at the frontline level, not early adopters. Because the, these guys are going to adopt everything. Like that neck, you, know, you got your early adopters that are like, oh, this is a great idea. I'll do anything, right? Yeah, it's brilliant. And, you know, kind of the bleeding edge, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's that next wave of, of, of true influencer in the organization. And you might even have somebody on the backside here who's a stone thrower, right? Who is yeah. the, the malcontent. The reason they're the malcontent is because they've seen it fail so many times, right? And when they're going, it won't work. It's not because they're negative. It's because they're realists, right? So can you get one of those people to come over on to quote, you know, the, you know, the, not the dark side kind of thing. 
Oh yes. When that guy over, you've you, you've won. Yeah, there's an old cereal commercial called Life Cereal. It's like, hey, Mikey, he likes it, right? And you know, yep. all the other kids start to eat it. Very old cereal. <laughs> oh, life, life! What a what a cereal name. All righty. Uh, speaking of life, uh, so we ask we ask this question to all our guests, and we always we love we love the feedback on it. So, uh, Wally, if you could go back 20 years. What would you tell yourself? You know, Sands don't Bitcoin and Google and Amazon buys. Don't don't worry about that. But what would you tell yourself other than that in regards to a professional sense? Uh, you know, one is I, I this is going to sound so bad, but I I mean I would have saved more money, right? And you know, I paid off my first car, right? And it's like oh, four hundred dollar month car payment, and it was like okay, well now when I will have to start saving money, I started saving a hundred a month. Where was the other three hundred? I was drinking it, but anyway. Um, <laughs> It had to go somewhere. It, and, and I, it really did. Um, <laughs> it, it was a silver can, but it was a different a silver bullet. Um, uh, as it relates to my professional business, I would have done two things. Now, my business has been very successful. You know, we've been doing this for 20 years. Um, when I say we, I have some subcontractors that I collaborate with. Uh, I would have done two things, maybe even three things differently now that I think of it. But one is the systemization piece. Right. It's what I just said, right, about process, right, so that it could scale better. Now, didn't say it would scale, but that it could scale, right? Now, that's a decision I would have had to make, but I was probably slow to get to some of that systemization and probably still am. Um, so that was definitely a piece of it. And then the other one was collaboration. That, you know, what happens is we become you know, we're a solopreneur, right, is the word, a few subcontractors, like I said, but never really did a nice job of reaching out and finding, a couple years into it, I did, there's a fellow who's a professor at NC State, teaches leadership uh, in their ag world, right, agriculture, right, well, when you look at the personality profile of farmers and constructors, I mean, it's like this, it's like, they're the same, right, it's like, leave me alone, I want to dig, that's what it is, right? So um, I didn't collaborate enough um, and establish alliances. It, it just for learning, right? And uh, I was kind of a loner, I guess. And there's probably a missed opportunity there. Go back to that word earlier about leverage. Both of those conversations about systemization and collaboration were about leverage. Now, LinkedIn, et cetera, that's a hell of a lot easier now. Right. Uh, but I was a member of a trade association, National Speakers Association, still am. Um, and there were some opportunities there that I probably missed. People, relationships with people. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, and I was just busy being successful. Right. So, oh, boo hoo. That sounds yeah. rough. <laughs> and, and that wasn't arrogance. That was just, I hey, I'm doing okay. Right. But definitely a missed opportunity. Will, did you ask that question? No, actually, okay. Justin asked that. Okay. I usually ask that. But okay. That's, this time I, he asked it. Okay. I get to hate him right now for making me feel bad about myself. Well, you shouldn't feel bad. You shouldn't feel bad at all. You're just being you. You're being candid. There's always time to change, right? Looking back, reflecting. <laughs> Look, there's people that I know that became entrepreneurs when they were 70, right? Yeah. yeah. They got to their degrees when they were 70, right? There's no time like the present. I don't know who who said that, but I do remember that quote very well. So well, it's it's a great point, Will, and and I think that's we see that. And I and sometimes I'll do coaching 
uh, as you know, as part of the business. And one of the first things I'm trying to figure out, does this person really want to do this? Right. Is, are they a fit for this job? Right. Or uh, my dad said I should be an engineer and I became an engineer and now I'm hostage. Right. Cause I got three kids or whatever. Right. So the first thing we look for is fit. Do, can you fit the job? Do you want to do the job? Um, and, you know, sometimes we have conversations about, you know, have you thought about something else? But that's to me, that's a gift that we give people. And and I agree with you, uh, you know, these kind of this right that reaching out, collaborating, uh, spending time together. Um, you know, not only is this fun, but I think it's an example of the collaboration that was harder to do, um, you know, uh, 10 years ago. And uh, and it's fun and I welcome it now. Yeah, you're all over LinkedIn. So you're, 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 if you don't know, follow Wally on LinkedIn. You, one, you'll, you'll be entertained. I'll tell you that because he, he, he does not shy back from the, the videos as well as just dropping knowledge bombs left and right. So uh, yeah, I will make sure that's in the show notes. Cool, thanks. Um, is there a way people can get in contact with you, Wally? Well, uh, it's just go to constructionleadership.com. Right. I don't know how much easier it can be to, you know, constructionleadership.com. Right. Um, and they can, you know, click on the, the link there for Wally at BFRSR.com. But yeah, people say, well, you know, what makes you, I'm like, well, I own the domain constructionleadership.com. I, that must say something about where I spend my time. Right? <laughs> I would say that's a fair, that's a fair assessment. But yeah, um, you're right. LinkedIn publishing every, I publish five days a week there. Um, and usually some, you know, some variations of content, video, text, et cetera. So I invite people to follow me on LinkedIn as well. Sure. Sure. And is there anything else you want to tell the good people, uh, of the building scale community? You know, I would say if, you know, if coming back to the thing about leadership, um, is that, that, that we're going through a fundamental change on the model of leadership and the heroic leader, follow me. It, it worked right it, it it worked for a long time but people it's not working now right there's an you know if we want to change heroic there's a new h factor it's called humility right and honesty right and how will you help me succeed and to come back to honesty right we're in a time where trust is at an all-time low in all institutions clergy congress that was easy military right uh business that we have an opportunity within our interpersonal relationships right here and within our workplaces, quote, the four walls of our workplace, whether those are virtual or brick, uh, to create places of trust where people truly do want to collaborate and do cool things. Um, that's the payoff. That's why leadership matters. That's what um, I think makes it all worth it. Wise words coming from Wally. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We uh, we're going to get out of here and we will drop all of Wally's information in the show notes. And until next time, adios. Adios. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.